0: This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake episode 58. My name's Rob Hayes. I'm in For Fox Sake HQ. Pete Selby, where are you? Me, I'm in an underground
1: bunker and we're trying to work out what's gone wrong. What I've got in front of me, I've got a giant football pitch with about 10 people with big long sticks moving players around the field to try and work out the best formation. I've got a crack team of scientists who are looking at these Different numbers being printed out on these printers to try and crack the code of what's gone wrong and why are other teams playing well and we're not. I've got ten people locked in the room, they're watching videos of last season to see if we can get back to somewhere near that level. It's all a bit World War Two bunkerish. Um and so far we've come up with nothing. I've had no sleep for about well, four days since the uh well, since the humiliation really away at Burnley even though they're a good team and of course the humiliation away at Southampton as well we've drawn away at Derby since we've been on air on for fox sake um and so far I'm looking around any any joy lads no they're, they're shaking their heads um the scientists you you want to go home? you can't go home we've got four games in 2 weeks it's a mess get back to it right so we're working on it um and we've just broken away to uh, to speak on air now. So how are you? Anyway, what have you been up to?
0: I'm all right, thanks, Pete. Yeah, very, very busy. Uh, I'm glad that we've been able to set up the technology to speak to you in the bunker. I think one thing that the scientists might have worked out so far is that you need to spend a bit less time on the M1. Your imagination's running away with you, son.
1: Well, yeah, but I think um, I think it might actually benefit uh, just, just going over things. The the problem with, and, and I mention this all the time, and I mentioned it last season, is that because of we live in a social media age, as soon as something happens, it's either the end of the world or the best thing ever. If a goal goes in, it's the best goal that's ever been scored. It, everyone's dead reactionary nowadays, which is great because it means people can interact with podcasts such as this, and they can say their opinions. So what i like about for fox sake is that we just take a bit of a step back and um look at things properly and unfortunately we've done that and i've still lost the plot and uh, are really panicking the one thing i've heard from a lot of people who listen to the podcast is um when are you guys going to start to panic because we've been very upbeat well i've pressed the panic button right now because we are in trouble we are bang in trouble
0: yeah, we we are we are and the the thing is some of the performances yeah they well most of the performances let's say have not been anywhere near the level that they were last season and we weren't expecting that and the reason we've not hit the panic button is because like you say we like to take a step back we like to look at things objectively a couple of little bits haven't really gone our way you can kind of we already knew that this season was going to be difficult compared to last season but we're we're doing things badly that we did really well last year. So let's talk about um, Morgan and Huth. Say the the defense have come under quite a lot of stick recently, and they were so solid last season. And well, as soon as they got the pizzas, they were they were solid after that. But we're conceding goals from set pieces. You know the the goals that we conceded against Southampton. Let's rewind back to the to the the furthest away game that we haven't yet covered on for fox sake and some of the, the the balls that were dropping in the penalty area that would normally have a blue shirt on them first were falling to a red and white striped shirt and that's how we conceded that goal just before half time i think if we got in 1-0 down away at southampton things wouldn't have felt or looked quite as bad as they did until Jay rodriguez scored
1: um, yeah, I, I said at the time when we lost to Southampton that it's the worst display I've seen Leicester put in since we lost away to Aston Villa in the Cup in around January time of the sea, uh, of the miracle survival season, um, which was a dreadful performance. It, it was just generally all-round terrible. I thought Southampton played very well, but no Leicester player on the field performed well. We made a few changes, we brought in... The likes of Damari. Gray. I think we, what we'll do, we should go through the entire team and comment on the, you know, the three games we've had. So you mentioned that the, the two centre halves. Now, they had an absolute shock at that game, and we know how well they can play. We know that Robert Hooth is 35, 36 years old, and he's, he's on borrowed time, really, and, and they performed um, very well last season. Where's Morgan? Um, has been a rock at the heart of Leicester's defense alongside the likes of Huth. but when he does throw in a bit of a wobbly it's a big one and it was a big one against Southampton he was all over the place but the entire team was they they really put a lot of pressure on the center halves that's all the other players and they ju- yeah they didn't play very well it just it was one of those games where because it was an early kickoff. Southampton looked like they've been up since about five o'clock in the morning, had a training session, and then went out and were 100 miles an hour from the start. We looked like that we had travelled down or just got out of bed or literally just stepped off the coach and gone onto the field, and we were at half pace. It was an absolute shocker. Yes, the centre-halves had a bad game, but by no means least, they weren't the only ones who had a shocker, Um The one thing that we need to say about that game, it was the last time that Ranieri tried the three in midfield, which we did say on the last episode, uh, well, I definitely said that... um... I don't like the three in midfield with um, Mendy and Didi and Drinkwater because it leaves a lot of space on the flanks. And what, we, what happened against Southampton, we got absolutely destroyed on the flanks and all it needed was some decent balls into the middle. And of course, they had um, James Ward-Prowse, who's one of the best dead ball specialists and crosses a ball in the league, and they just took advantage. And we were at sixes and sevens all over the place. It was an absolute shocker.
0: Yeah, Ranieri admitted after the game that uh, it was his fault. He made the mistakes. He shouldn't have tried the formation. Um, but if we'd have got him one nil down at half-time, I, I know I just mentioned this, but then he made the change at half-time. He obviously realised it wasn't working. Drinkwater was playing a lot wider on the right-hand side, but they, uh, he didn't look sure whether he was playing right side of central midfield or right midfield uh, but then he changed it at half time took mendy off, brought all Brighton on, went to a more conventional four four two that the fans and the players are much more familiar with seeing and and then they didn't score again until the eighty sixth minute and the second half was uh all right it wasn't drastically improved, but we looked more solid we looked like we had something to build on like you say at four three three you leave a lot of gaps, and we've talked about the way that you can play four three three um here he kind of played almost a diamond really didn't he with um with Okazaki and, and Grey involved. I think if you play four three three but you play it with two wide men such as Or Brighton one side and Grey the other, you can say to them, Tuck in, four five, one until we're on the attack, then you've got the licence to get forward and support, and you can bomb a man from central midfield forward and Didi and Mendy both look like good box to box midfielders. Drinkwater can contribute in attacking positions in terms of his um his weight of pass etc but it, it it was a very weird sort of four-three-three diamond not a diamond their central midfielders playing tight in the middle are they forced out wide nobody really seemed to know what was going on but fair play to Ranieri he tinkered with it at half time, changed it and then admitted after it was his fault um and then we had the perfect shall, shall we leave the Southampton game and move on to Derby because I've had enough of Southampton now I think
1: so. I've just received a a print off from the uh, the Vidi printer over in the far side. Thank you, Megula. Um, and uh, it basically says four four two on it. So uh, the uh, the pods here in the underground bunker they've uh, they've come up with the perfect formation, which was basically the formation we played last season. Now a lot of people says that we can't play that formation with uh, no Kante because he did the jobs of two players and all that sort of thing. Well, I do disagree on that, and I think it's the best way that we should play. I mentioned that there's problems with changing the formation halfway through the season we're not uh, chelsea who changed theirs after six or seven games and obviously gone on the run that they have um we we tried and also i i know it's the last thing we'll say about southampton but it's what the fans wanted so many people were saying play three in midfield why you can't play 4-4-2 anymore why is he sticking to that so yes he changed the formation but it was something that a lot of fans were asking for. It didn't work, so we've gone back to the old four-four-two against Derby in the Cup. Now, um, bit of a strange game, really. I was there, and uh, and so were about five and a half thousand Leicester fans. Fantastic atmosphere in the away end. Now, Derby for a start. It's a weird ground. I've been to Pride Park years ago. I went when Collymore um, broke his ankle. What a game that was. And I was also there when we won uh, 1-0 for a late Is It penalty when Savage dived and got the penalty and then celebrated the penalty and uh, had about 10 Derby players' hands around his throat afterwards. So um, I've been to Pride Park before. First of all, it's looking a bit shabby. I'll say that. It's a a bit... um, second hand stadium if you know what I mean looks like it's been made out of recycled materials and uh, you go into the concourse and it's it's just not as good as the stadiums that were built a few years later yes of course it was one of the older ones around about 97 but uh, also surprising that uh, the Derby fans didn't actually fill the ground you know, it's a bit surprising that, but never mind um, I thought Leicester started quite well Drinkwater running the show we got an early goal what an absolute shot what was he doing? They just it, it it is it is leg. The thing is, from where we was stood, we couldn't quite see what happened. We know someone's just sliced it in the top corner, pretty much. And the the celebration was ever so strange because everyone was like, "Yeah, we're we're in front," but what a weird way of going
0: about it. It it happens in such slow motion, though. It came down off the thigh of one of the other Derby players. It was travelling towards the goal, but at really really slow pace. He had so much time to set himself, put his foot through it. Uh, and he said in his post-match interview, literally, he just panicked uh, and swung a boot at it, wanted to kick it as hard as he could, sp- uh, spun off the outside of his left boot and into the sort of in inside side netting. But as you say, we started quite well. We looked like we were in control of the game. We, we had to go there. Look, Derby have a good home record. Leicester fans consider it more of a Derby than Derby do, let's be honest. But it was... Friday night, FA Cup, on the BBC, 5,500 fans, Leicester had to go and start well. And they looked in control, didn't they? And they looked like they'd gone back to basics and get that ball, keep it, move it well. And it it started quite promisingly until... Bent decided he was going to put his scoring head on up the other end as well. Well, the, the conditions were atrocious. He was absolutely tipping
1: it down and uh, I thought the pitch was very good. But uh, it was difficult to control the game. I thought Drinkwater was outstanding for the first 20 minutes and then he really went off the boil. And he controlled the game in the midfield. Andy King was very quiet. And we were the best team. It looked like a Premier League team against a Championship team. We went one goal up. That's our uh, own goal. To be honest, when it went in, my first thought was Wembley 94 when uh, we got the equaliser, when the uh, Derby defender on the line tried to head the ball and just missed it, and it went in the back of the net, that's the first thing I thought of. Um, was it Williams or Moore? One of their centre halves at the time, ninety-four. Williams was the first name that came to my head. Anyway, and um, yeah, and obviously they got back in the game. A good header skidded off the surface, and then went two-one up. And it, the, the problem is, in, in the away end, there were loads of people, it was more moaning about how Leicester were playing. Obviously, you're concentrating on, you know, your team. And when I got back after the game and spoke to a few Derby fans and there, and a few neutrals who were saying, oh, what a, what a decent game it was, and Leicester were very unlucky really not to get the win. But it didn't actually seem like that from the away end. Leicester really lost a lot of momentum. They lost so much confidence as well. And yes, they had a number of shots in the second half, saved by the goalie's leg. Vardy had a header anywhere else apart from the goalkeeper. It's a goal. Okazaki had a chance where, again, it hit the goalkeeper. We hit the post through grey. Maybe he should have done better. Um, which seems to be the case with grey at the moment getting in good positions but should do better with the final product which is always the case of a youngster but this is a player yes he's a youngster but you know should have a better end product than he's got at the moment we know he's got flashes of it look at the goal against man united but from the away end point of view and the talk on the terrace it was very downbeat and uh, yes, they really got behind them, the fans did, and we got that goal late on, the Wes Morgan header. Um, I'm pretty sure Wes Morgan would like that goal against Derby. Um, and of course, you want to go far in the FA Cup, and I still think the FA Cup is vitally important to Leicester because we need to get some confidence, we need to get some wins under our belts. So, a victory in the uh, replay is vital. It was a strange game. I thought Derby were quite disappointed, even though they held Leicester, Um so I'm quite glad we got away with it. To be honest, I did, I did actually predict uh, a 2-2. So um, we uh, you know, won a few quid on that and I said to a few people before the game. So it was kind of the way I thought it was going to go. I thought it would be a bit more end-to-end. It wasn't the best game in terms of quality. I think the conditions did have a lot to say about it. But the thing is, I think the main point with the game for me is that we saw what Drinkwater can do in the first 20 minutes. Leicester controlled the game. He went massively off the boil after that. And and Leicester pretty much lost the game from there.
0: Yeah, well, of course you predicted the score, right, first of all, Mystic Pete. But um, it's it's funny because say we'd have gone one goal ahead last season, early doors, own goal, home team on the rocks, right? And then we'd conceded in the 21st minute, as we did, for the home team to level, uh, as we did last Friday. The Leicester City team 12 months ago would have 100% believed in their ability to get back in front in that game. But as soon as that Darren Bent header went in, maybe Schmeichel should have done a bit better. He His reaction would probably suggest so. But as soon as that goal went in, not one player on the pitch and not one fan in the stands or at home watching on telly genuinely believed that Leicester could get back into that game. You saw it was panic stations from then on. It was completely confidence sapping. One goal... Uh, yes, it was a quality header by a man that scored goals wherever he's been. But that kind of goal 12 months ago, Leicester would have just shaken it off, might have taken a couple of minutes, but got back into their rhythm, got back in control, steadied themselves, and gone again. They just, it literally sapped all energy and confidence out of them for a large proportion of the game. Most recently, of course, was a Tuesday night trip to Turf Moor to face one of the best teams at home in the Premier League after Burnley's 1-0 win uh, against Leicester. They're now the third best team at home in the entire Premier League. Pete Selby, uh, another disappointing defeat on the road. I'd have been delighted to come away from Turf Moor with a
1: 0-0. Well, we nearly got a 0-0 and did we deserve a 0-0? I'm not entirely sure about that um, First of all, I thought we defended very well. Um, I thought the criticism of Hooth and Morgan at Southampton was very just as we were just on about, but I thought they both played very well in this game. We defended well against, like you said, a team who are very good at home, and you can see the confidence in their team and the lack of confidence in our team quite an even first half. Um, I watched the game and it was. Uh, I think a lot of people said what a what a really poor standard of game. Almost two championship teams going at each other. Well, I think that's very harsh on a team who are ninth in the league in Burnley with one of the best home records, like you said. Um, I think we we'll just go straight to the goal. Obviously, it's handball. It's a, a disappointed decision by Mike Dean once again. But then again, he did have you know a fairly average, decent game. You know, we didn't really notice him, which is what you want in the referee. Um, but then of course he makes one. Clanger right at the end, but to be honest, the goal was coming. The problem we've got is that we just don't look like scoring. Vardy, Mares, Gray were all on the field. Um, all Brighton looked lively early on, and it just didn't work. Gray playing behind the striker in. Um, Jamie Vardy, Vardy had a chance in the first half, I think a lot of people said he maybe should have chipped the goalkeeper or got there first, been a bit braver possibly I don't know, this is a guy short of confidence actually, sorry, second half, first half he snatched at a chance where it went out for a throw from an acute angle when you thought he was just going to smash it towards goal, high into the net, actually shots on target we had more, many were from distant though, um, so the goalkeeper didn't really have to make a save, he spilled one in the second half, Heaton did, and uh, yeah, it's a disappointing defeat. But then again, when you're not playing well, this is what happens. And when you are you know, turning in decent performances at home, look at the last season. We all know what a run can do for a club. And Burnley, they're on that run. That was like us last season, getting that late goal in an even game. The problem is we're not creating the goals.
0: Yeah, we did it. We did it against Norwich, didn't we? Leo Azewa springs to mind in that that, were, that was a one yes. nil. Oh,
1: exactly. And and that's the way it goes when you when you're towards the top of the league and when you're at the bottom, it's going the other way. It's it's disappointing that we're just not creating any chances. The, and another big loss, and we really do need him back. Is Islam Slimani? I know he's got that uh, problem. Now, is it a groin strain from um, or a thigh strain from the African Cup
0: of Nations? Yeah, it's his, it's his groin. He was kind of carrying it on and off before he went out to the African Cup of Nations as well and it's kind of a bit of a recurrence and groins are a bit weird because uh, the smallest amount of twisting, they can feel fine but then the smallest amount of twisting or a little loss of um, grip on the surface and they can go again just like that. So I think the club are right in, in, in making sure that he's fully right before he comes back but I, I do know what you mean. I think we need... Somebody else up there who provides a different option, who who is a natural goal scorer, because Jamie Vardy was scoring most of his goals last season, let's be honest, on the back of an unbelievable amount of confidence. From scoring week in, week out, he got a a couple, got on a run, the team were playing well, he was scoring goals. Did you know it's a year to the day that he scored that goal against Liverpool and we're here sat on this On For Fox 8 podcast 12 months later saying that we cannot find a goal from any part of the pitch. That was proof that we could get a goal from pretty much anywhere this time last year.
1: Well, it, it is. I know it's definitely a year to the to the day because in, on one of the screens in the uh, bunker that I'm in is uh, is that goal just on repeat, basically, just to rem- a reminder of better days. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's it's a strange thing. Confidence. He just needs a goal, but the, the fact is, he's not having many chances put on a plate for him. And yes, he needs to work hard himself, uh, and we'll come on to that in a minute. But uh, the the lack of creativity. Creativity in a team is startling. I thought indeed he looked very good in midfield. Again, drink water. Not the greatest of games, and it's one of them, isn't it? It's just a disappointing defeat where we really needed to get a point from that game. And of course, other results not going our way, which is a really bad thing. To you know, I wasn't really concerned of what Palace were doing, what Swansea were doing, and Hull were doing, but now you're really looking over your shoulder because the two points off the zone, we're right in a fight. Um. I think what we should do now is really address what a lot of people are saying about the club, about players, what's gone wrong. So we put out on Twitter at FFS Pod, what do you think, basically? Uh, what would you do to change things? We've got uh, Adam Healy said, resign. So obviously talking about Ranieri there. Jack Dawes said, now it's time for players to earn their money. They've been well rewarded and supported. Players need to stand up or others given a chance. I certainly do agree with that. Um, I think uh, what a a lot of the problem comes from is that we know the players have been given these big contracts, rewarded with new cars and all that sort of thing. When they were given those at the time, we all kind of agreed because they had the best season of all time. They played out the skins, as we know. Now, of course, when it goes wrong, it goes the other way now. I disagree with a lot of people who said they're not trying. They obviously are. They're just not playing very well. A lot of players are off form for a a number of different reasons. Why is that? That's unfortunate the way football is. Of course, what happened the year before? We just avoided relegation. Are Leicester playing, actually, at the level of the team that we've got? Last season, was it just one of those complete freaks of nature? You know, possibly. It's a very difficult thing to... To put your finger on. We know a number of players like Mares, Who was exceptional last year. How many goals did he score? And not only that. How many chances did he create that Vardy then finished off? It's not happening this year. Um, I think that's a lot to do with it. The the lack of uh, creativity from Mares. I think Slomani is a big miss. We needed him to get on the end of crosses. Because time after time. It was all Brighton. It was um, Marez just putting the balls in the centre. And I'm screaming at the... uh, the illegal live stream that I was watching, saying, why? Why are you doing that? We haven't got a big man up front. We know what's going on with the Giro. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, whether it's the case of playing them to up top, why not? I disagree with a lot of people saying it's a lack of effort. I think that's an easy option to take. I think that's an easy thing to label at players. But do they have to stand up? Yes, they do. We'll talk about the manager. Now, obviously, he's now he's actually second favourite uh, to get the sack... Now, first of all, I am one of those supporters who are definitely in the camp of do not get rid of Ranieri. Has he been changing the team? Yes, of course, he played there three in midfield for a few games. He's gone back to 4-4-2. Um, has he fallen out with players? If there's any problems behind the scenes, they're all adults. They should be getting on with things. They know what they have to do. They know that they can do it. Uh, whether a change of uh, manager happens at the end of the season, that's a different argument the manager should stay where he is. Um, I don't think there's any problems with that. I don't think that would solve things. I think it's an easy sa- thing to say, get rid of the manager. My first question is, who do you get in? And of course, most of the people who say get rid of the manager can't an- answer that question at all. Um, so what do we do? What do you think, Rob?
0: Well, I'm very much in in the same camp as you, Pete. I'm very much uh, behind Ranieri. I think we should keep him. I think that... Uh, a couple of years ago we proved that keeping a manager through a period of adversity was a positive in Nigel Pearson is Claudio Ranieri a better manager than Nigel Pearson last season's achievements would suggest so uh, and like you said the people in the let's not take this into brexit but the people in the leave campaign have got no actual uh, they've got no actual plan of what we do when when If and when we got rid of Claudio Ranieri, there is nobody out there at the moment that's better. There's nobody out there that knows the players better. There's nobody out there that knows how to get the best out of this group of players. And I feel really sorry for Ranieri, actually, because football managers come under a lot of stick for for all a number of different reasons. They are one person that's a much easier scapegoat than, say, the 20-odd players that have represented Leicester in the Premier League this season. Much easier to say, oh, Ranieri out, than say, oh, these 20 players out. That's the way football always has been. It's a results-driven game, of course it is. It's, it's a, a results-based job, of course it is, but... There is nobody else right now that I would rather have in charge of Leicester City than Claudio Ranieri because he is basically stood on that sideline watching the same or a similar uh, 11 players wearing blue shirts at the King Power Stadium and going, how on earth do I get them back to what they were last season? How can I... How can I find that magic again? We don't even need much magic. You just need a bit of what we had last year, a little sprinkling of it, just to lift us up into mid-table and string together a couple of results. Who's the man to find that? For me, it's Claudio Ranieri, because if you bring somebody else in, you might get the instant turnaround of three or four results, as, as maybe Hull and Swansea have found, but I think they'll tail off again. I think they'll get found out very quickly, but Claudio knows the club. He knows the players. And I am absolutely certain that we will not get relegated this season if we keep hold of Claudio Ranieri.
1: Well, I I completely agree. Um, I think the one thing we have to do as fans, and I think we'll do it right now on the podcast, is basically turn around and say, right, we are in a relegation battle and we're going to pretty much ban all talk of last season because it's now this season and the season's changed. We are fighting relegation. Of course, we can change a tune when we go to Seville. And of course, hopefully we beat Derby and go through to the fifth round of the Cup against Millwall away. What a great opportunity um, to beat Millwall and then go through to the quarterfinals. That's all to one side. Oh, and and just a quick word on the FA Cup. I've been asked this question about four times today. Um, Do you think that Leicester should play a, a reserve team in the next game against Derby and concentrate on the league? Well, I think that they will play a completely changed team. I would. Because I think you've got the likes of Man United on Sunday, you've got Derby then on Wednesday, you've got Swansea at the weekend, followed by Seville on the Wednesday. So they need to rest players. Um, Sorry, Seville the the week after that. So I would give the opportunity to players, and the team talks dead simple against Derby. You've got a team of 11 players out in that field who have maybe not been regular starters, and you go, look... You get a good performance. Not only are you going to be in the team against Swansea at the Premier League, you're going to possibly be in the team in the Champions League knockout stages. What a great uh, thing to be in your ear as you walk out onto the King Power Turf against Derby in the FA Cup. I think the FA Cup is fine. We should be going for the Cup. We should be going for the Champions League. We should be going for the Premier League. Just keep on going every single game. Get a win in any competition that matters. Of course we would like it to be in this. We would like it to be in that game. But... I just want us to start winning, rediscover that winning touch, a bit of confidence, we know the players are good enough, but... The one thing that we have to really remember right now is it's this season. We are in a relegation fight. It doesn't matter what happened last season. We can address the manager situation. We can address signing different players, all that sort of thing in the summer. And we can discuss that. Right now, we've got the team that we've got. We've got the squad that we've got. And like you said, we need to get the best out of it. And I think Ranieri is the best person to do that. I think playing 4-4-2 is the best way. I'll look forward to getting Slomani back in the team, get them balls in the middle. So now we've sorted that, Rob, we'll talk about the transfer window
0: because it's been slammed shut, as they like to say. Um, Always slammed. Never, Never just closed gently. It's always slammed shut, isn't it? Can I just say just just quickly before we move on to transfers? Very quickly, I know you said that a lot of people say that we're quite positive on this podcast and that we don't hit the panic button uh, without due cause. I think that's something that the that a lot of other fans need to take into these into the games, particularly the home games. But our, our away support's always fantastic. But the roar around the King Power Stadium helped enormously to us winning the Premier League title last season, and it will h- help even more this season to keeping us out of the bottom three so I think the fans need to go into every game prepared to give as much as they as as they've got as well as they expect the players to give as much as they've got to to try and help lift us out of it that's I think that's a, a key factor in this relegation battle that we have to call it now but anyway transfers yeah um I'll kick off by saying I'm very unenthused with Leicester's business in January
1: well, I agree. We've signed the guy called Wagu, who could be absolutely anyone. He could be an imposter, for all I know. I mean, No one knows who he is. I don't know. You don't know. And if anyone does know who he is, then they're lying. I'll tell you who doesn't know who he is. Um, Udinese supporters, because he didn't play for them. He didn't play for Granada. Now, fair play to him. He's at the club. He looks a big lad. He might be brilliant. He might be rubbish. Who knows? But we've signed Ndidi at the start of the window. Did we need anyone else in the window? Of course we did. But we haven't got them. So there's no use moaning about it. And also, play, people were saying, well, why aren't we paying £18 million for Nathan Ackie? If we paid £18 million for Nathan Ackie, the place would have gone mad. Why aren't we buying this player? Why aren't we buying that? You can't buy everyone. There's 20 teams in the Premier League after players. And just because one club go for a player doesn't mean that we have to automatically go for them. It takes a lot to sign a footballer. We've paid a lot of wages to players. We've paid a lot of transfer fees out for players. Also, a lot of teams wanted a lot of money for some average players. So we've got one player in. I would have loved them to have signed an extra defender. Who? Oh, yeah, let's go for Michael Keane. You would have had to have offered £40 million to get Michael Keane. So we're not going to pay £40 million for him. We should have got him in the summer. Well, I'm sorry. We offered, I think our final offer was about £22 million. So at the time, we went, Christ, £22 million for Michael Keane. It well, turns out it could have been a decent buy right now, but that's a lot of money, so you have to kind of be careful. We need some more players, but again, we'll talk about that in the summer because we can't get anyone now. Um, the one thing I'm going to say to you is Leonardo Ujoa. Now, we all know he wanted to leave. The first thing is, if you say something and then you read in text, what you've just said. Now, it can be taken out of context. I'm not defending the guy at all. But when I saw his quotes, I went, oh, no, here we go. He's another piet. He's going to go on strike. He doesn't want to play for a club. What a guy. He scored all them goals for Leicester. Fans' favourite. Um, you know, it's a really disappointing thing for a player who whose song will be sung for decades to come, I said, on uh, on Facebook and Twitter. And then he does this. I then listened to the interview. I watched the interview on Sky Sports News with Rob Dorsett... And he puts it across in a completely different way. He looked very apologetic, quite emotional, saying, look, I, I want to leave. I want to play. I want to be a footballer again. He did say he didn't, didn't want to play for the club again. Um, but he did say it quite apologetically. And apparently at the time of recording, they've had a bit of a thrash the air talks. And he'll be fine. Apparently he's not signed, fell out with any of the players. They understand him. They understood that he wants to play. Um and to be honest, if he's fully fit, which I know he's had a problem with a thigh strain or something along them lines, if he's fully fit... Well, that's the rumour the that there's yeah. a muscular injury. But uh, for me, if he wants to play, get him in the team. I wouldn't be surprised if he starts against Man United. You never know. Why not just turn around to him and say, Look, mate. You've been in the headlines for all the wrong reasons, maybe on uh, Leicester's part, maybe on his part as well. So why not just stick him in the 11 on Sat on Sunday against Man United, on Sky, on TV, in front of the world, and say, go on then, show the world what you can do. If you want to move, go and see what you can do on the field. We know we turned down a lot of money from Sunderland. Um, that's what I would do, maybe play alongside Sermani. Maybe it needs Jamie Vardy to be benched. That could be someone to come off the bench after an hour you never know why not change things around up top hang
0: on is this what's happening in your bunker bench Vardy and stick two big men on up top yes um we, we've got some more printouts
1: from the uh, the 1940s printer over there our computer by the way it's the size of a house and um I, th- I think someone's playing pong on it at the moment but uh, they're not doing their jobs what we've done is we've moved around some of the players on this big football pitch um and what we've done is decided just to launch pl- uh, balls into the area against Man United uh, to the likes of Ujoa and Slimani. Yeah, but why not Bench
0: Vardy? Might do him the world of good, you never know. He's not doing the business at the moment. Oh no, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with the Bench Vardy thing. I think um, I think a rest, I think taking him out of the limelight, I think to stop putting in the entire pressure of Leicester's goal-scoring ability on Jamie Vardy would be a positive, but... It'd be a little bit drastic to stick two six foot three big men up top. I
1: don't think so at all. I think um Islam Samani's got a lot about him rather than just being a big man. He's not a target man, we've seen that already. I know he's taller than the average player up front. He's not the out and out target man which Ajoa is. Um but my first my final question really with a Joa is now would you, Rob, if you were Leicester City, would you have taken that eight and a half million or seven and a half million, whatever it was, from Swansea?
0: I think you'd have to look at the happiness of the player and you'd have to say look if if Joe wants to go and play football and I'm only going to use him as a bit part player then yes I'm going to let him go but if you want to look at it from a a completely let's let's take the emotion away from it and let's just look at it from a business perspective if you like take away the money as well business perspective in terms of the usefulness of the asset to the to what the business is trying to achieve the business being Leicester City football club if you've got a striker who can do a job whether it's for 5 minutes every 3 weeks or 180 minutes every week you you've you'd keep him because there might come a time when you need him in the team and let's be honest when when Sonamani was away if Ajoa didn't have this I'll put it in inverted commas muscular injury Ajoa would be on the bench he'd be the option to have uh, somebody a bit stronger and a bit better in the air up top rather than the pace um he's a similar player in in many aspects to Soleimani yeah, I understand what you're saying Soleimani's a bit more of an all rounder a is a bit more of a target man, but from a business perspective, if you don't need the money and you've got a footballer who might be useful to you, you'd keep him but footballers but football is not basically it's not played on paper is it it's it's if a is is sort of distracted mentally by the fact that he wants to play regularly somewhere and you don't think you're going to get as, enough out of him uh, and then he's going to go public with this and, and provide a bit of a distraction there and people are talking about it when perhaps they really shouldn't be. It's all blown up a little bit bigger than I'd have liked it to. So maybe you'd have to, if you're area or the club, you have to sort of sort of concede defeat and say, all right, it's not quite what we were holding out for him, but but we'll let him go because it's in the best interests of the uh, of the of the camp I know he didn't fall out with anybody like you say but apart from uh, his ideas on what Renier's opinions were whatever but it, yeah it, it's a difficult one emotionally let him go but from a, a perspective of having an able Premier League striker in your squad I can see why they've kept him
1: Yeah, I I do agree. I mean, personally, I would have sold him because I think it's good money for him. I don't think we'll get anywhere near that in the summer. And I know it's a lot of money that we'll lose if we go down way more than ever that you get for a Jawa. But uh, I think um, they knew that he wanted to go. And I, I really do hate the fact that business gets done so late on January transfer deadline day. Why not turn around and say, right, Sunderland, you want a Jawa, give us 8 million quid, 7 million quid, do that at the start of January and then we can get back and, uh, and try and sign someone for the price. So basically we're not losing a player because we're going to be getting another player in. The problem with selling him on deadline day was we, we couldn't have brought another player in because by all accounts they weren't after anyone or I, mean, I know Ramirez but it would have taken an awful lot of money to have priced him away from uh, from Middlesbrough so I get Middlesbrough to sell him because it seemed that he wanted to leave as well sometimes deals don't get done um I don't think there's any problem with playing him I would play him on Sunday if he's fully fit and like I said that would be my team i would go with the same team against Burnley with Ndidi in midfield, but I actually would go Ajoa and Slomani. If not Ajoa's fit, then I would go Slomani and Vardy. Of course, the Slomani, Vardy and Mares axes work very well against Man City. I know we're going back a while, but obviously they went away to the African Cup of Nations and a few injuries. So you need your best players on the field. I would keep DiMari Gray in the team. I'd like to see him start a game in the Premier League at Leicester at the King Power Stadium. He's been disappointed in the two games. I know he got dragged quite early against um, Burnley, but to be honest, he wasn't playing great. But I'd like to see him start against Man United. Have Gray on one side, have Morris on the other, and then have the two men up front, Vardy, Or, Ajoa and Slomani. Hopefully, he's fit. We'll see what happens. Um, oh, it's a strange game to try and predict. And then, obviously, you've got Derby in midweek, which they're going to have a completely different team playing and uh, I just hope that they go through. I hope we get something against Man United, turn the season round. It's a bit of a one-off game because they're a good team. But to be honest, we're not doing it against the lower teams. So we need to get something from that game. We're going to be saying that every single game this season from now until the end of the season. Hopefully they beat Man United or get something. Hopefully they go through against Derby. We can look forward to a fifth-round tie against Millwall.
0: Yeah, lots to look forward to coming up. Um, I'm actually going to. Germany next week for work Pete so we'll do our best oh, to yeah. try and get yeah we'll do our best to try and get a podcast recorded while I'm out there I'm out there for about 10-11 days uh, but if I'm unable to record one then uh, I might have to send you to the home of our sister podcast Forever Forest and get oh, them to no. get them to join in with you hosted by Liverpool fan Stephen Jameson well uh,
1: I mean Forever Forest okay have you ever listened to Forever Forest by the way do you want the I know it's our sister podcast with Alan March Sport Limited, but uh, go on then, what's have you listened to him before? Well,
0: um, I'm a full-time member of staff at Alan March Sport Limited and I also co-host the sister podcast of Forever Forest. Uh, so the honest answer is no.
1: I'm about to say, I mean, I've mean, i listened to a couple and it's it's uh, quite funny really because we all know what a mess they are. And as much as we're not playing very well, my God, what a mess they are. What an absolute shamble. So, uh,
0: yeah, so, so City fans, think about it, it could be worse.
1: Exactly, and then the next voice you might be hearing is Stephen Jameson and myself. Now, if I do go across the border and record the podcast in the headquarters of Forever Forest, um, I mean, to be honest, I'm guessing some really dodgy looks from the people in the bunker here. They're not too happy at all. As soon as they just said
0: the word "forest" out loud a few times, well,
1: yeah, they weren't too keen on you saying Germany either. But um, it's, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so,
0: so it might be an interesting podcast next. What are you doing in Germany, by the way? Uh, I'm commentating on the World Paranordic Skiing Championships. Holy moly. Yes. Uh, Anyway, we'll leave you with a bit of contact information if you do want to get in touch with the the podcast between now and the next recording, whoever and wherever it comes from, uh, at FFSPod on Twitter. Uh, Lots uh, of chat on there, as always, mainly run by Pete. Occasionally, I chime in if I could be bothered uh for fox eight podcast at gmail.com if you've got something more lengthy that you want to get off your chest and and share with us uh what are your thoughts uh, are we any relegation scrap uh yes, we what are. is the magic formula how how do we get ourselves back out of it let us know um sorry Pete that's sorry it was just a sneeze carry on Oh, you think Azure was the man to get us out of it. Anyway, uh, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, listen to previous episodes on YouTube, uh, Facebook as well. Search for Fox A Podcast on there. Uh, and we will join you again fairly soon when hopefully we've got some more Premier League points in the bag and another step forward in the FA Cup. Pete, I hope that you find the answer you're looking for in the bunker uh, and we'll speak to you next time.